millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, everyone. Thanks for downloading the Third Coast podcast. I'm Dennis Funk. From this moment, you have less than a month to finish your audio story for this year's Short Docs Challenge called Studs Rules. The Third Coast Short Docs Challenge is your chance to make a two to three minute radio story that follows a set of rules and it's open to pros and newbies alike. So if you've never made a radio piece but have always wanted to, this is your big chance. This year's rules are inspired by the ever-curious Studs Terkel, and we're accepting documentaries, audio fiction, sound art, and any other genres you can come up with. And there are loads of great incentives for making a short doc. You could be a guest of honour at our Filmless Festival this fall, or your piece could end up on this very podcast. So, have no fear. Get out there, get recording, and get us your short doc by the deadline on April the 14th. For more details about the rules for this year's challenge, visit our website at thirdcoastfestival.org. All right, that's it from me. Now here's this week's brand new episode of ReSound. Enjoy. In the first of five Massey Lectures for 1967. From the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago, I'm Gwen Maxi, and this is ReSound. This year's lectures are by a man who is noted for his part in making history. What I'm saying today is, America, you must be born again! Ideas presents Dr. Martin Luther King. Great radio is everywhere, but you can't be. Which is why we listen to everything we can get our ears on and bring you the best radio stories we discover worldwide each week on ReSound. This is United States, summer 1967. The older minister came toward Dr. King and took his hands in both of his and said, You're shaking this world, brother. You're shaking this world. Back in 1967, the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation's program Ideas persuaded Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. to be their guest lecturer to celebrate, of all things, Canada's centennial. The CBC recorded King a handful of times, once just after he had been released from prison. But how did they get this access to King, and what was going through his mind at this time of great upheaval? This is the story behind the story, and a revealing snapshot of a man struggling to stay the course he had set out for himself and the nation, as told by those who knew him well, like Harry Balafonte and biographer David J. Garrow, among others. Here is To Heal a Sick Nation, 
hosted by Paul Kennedy. 1963, on a sweltering August afternoon, we stood in Washington, D.C. I tried to talk to the nation about a dream. I have a dream that I have a dream today. I have a dream today. I have a dream. And I must confess to you today that not long after talking about that dream, I started seeing it turn into a nightmare. I'm Paul Kennedy, and this is Ideas, with the untold story of Martin Luther King Jr. and his appearance on this program in 1967, just a few months before he was assassinated. Nonviolence is no longer the major weapon of the civil rights struggle in the United States. Violence is now the dominant weapon. To many, Martin Luther King seems almost like a prehistoric relic. A nation that will keep people in slavery for 244 years will thingify them and make them things. And a nation that will exploit economically will have to have foreign investments and everything else, and it will have to use its military might to protect them. All of these problems are tied together. What I'm saying today is, America, you must be born again. This is United States, summer 1967. But just across the border in Canada, 1967 looked completely different. Canada was 100 years old, and the producers of ideas had a decision to make. Well, my name is Lou Auerbach, and I joined Ideas as an immigrant from the United States in early August 1967. And one of the very, very first things that I encountered was this discussion. Who are we going to get to be the Massey Lecturer in 1967? The Massey Lectures began in 1961 and later became an annual five-part series broadcast on ideas. The plan was to invite someone whose thinking had really restructured a field of thought. My name is Janet Somerville, and in 1967, I had the privilege of working on the Massey Lectures of Dr. Martin Luther King. We were thinking that it should be different that year because it was centennial year. And uh, being a brash and somewhat ignorant American, I totally ignored the fact that it was centennial year, totally paid attention to the issues of the Vietnam War and the race riots. And I said, you have to get Martin Luther King. History happened. Every Canadian news broadcast and television screen was full of the scenes in Newark and and Detroit. Detroit. Yeah, Detroit, right at the border. There was... Uh, It was explosive. It was so much more passionately consequential than our centennial celebrations. That's what happened. History happened. Sunday morning magazine. 
The world watches in horror as one United States city after another becomes a battleground. We'll have a sports roundup, but first... Janet Somerville then wrote to Dr. King. This is dated August 11th, 1967. Dear Dr. King, as you probably know, with the paroxysms of these past months in American cities, in Vietnam, in the Middle East... I I didn't think Dr. King would say yes. This summer's harsh new evidence has made the case for nonviolence harder to hear. We need to hear it argued. And it became obvious as well that you, Dr. King, should be persuaded, if possible, to do the speaking. The questioning, of course, is... I didn't see how he could do that, Dr. King, when he was so completely and intensely caught up in the vortex of the civil rights movement and the peace movement. Anything implied by the question, is it human to hope to move forward without violence, is relevant to the series we would like to broadcast. I very much hope it doesn't look impossible to you. If it is possible, we will begin the welcome work. I would have said no if I were Dr. Martin Luther King, but they said yes. History continued to happen. America's war in Vietnam was escalating, and its inner cities were boiling over with anger. My name is Harry Belafonte. Harry Belafonte was a key supporter and friend of Dr. King's throughout his career. Dr. King was quoted as having said that his dream has turned into a nightmare. And I think what happened in 67 and the periods just before then, uh, what he thought was America with a deep moral sense of justice had been overrun by these forces of evil and that... uh, All we need to do is to step in and identify that fact and that somehow the evil would recede, go away maybe, and that the real America would get a chance to reveal itself. But the fact is that uh, instead of America becoming less villainous, it uh, displayed its evil almost in its full might. My name is Dorothy Cotton. I'm very happy and proud to say that Dr. King was a, actually a close friend. African-American people and white allies as well were coming to a place of no longer accepting segregation, American-style apartheid. It was just happening. Actions, uh, uh, protest actions were springing up all over the place. Let's clear up one thing. Let's, let's quit calling. History is going to make you out of a lie if you keep calling these things riots. Let, let me get this message straight to you now. These ain't no riots. These are rebellions. The same kind of rebellion that we had in 1776 or 17. They were outbursts. I never called them riots. I called them social outbursts that uh, reflected the anger and rage of the people. Herman Blake is a sociologist at the University of South Carolina and was a student activist in the 1960s. There was oppression by those who were in charge of society, particularly uh, local police forces and others like that. I don't want to call Martin Luther King out of touch. 
I would say the whole damn nation was out of touch. And I knew that I could never again raise my voice against the violence of the oppressed in the ghettos without having first spoken clearly to the greatest purveyor of violence in the world today, my own government. King's message throughout 1967 was that racism, the Vietnam War, and poverty were all connected. But many people didn't want to hear it. And when he confronted America with it in this speech at the Riverside Church on April 4th of that year, he made himself new enemies. For the sake of those boys, for the sake of this government, for the sake of the hundreds of thousands trembling under our violence, I cannot be silent. In 1967, the Vietnam conflict was a war that was still supported by virtually all liberal democratic politicians. Opposition to the war was not yet uh, respectable or popular in the way that it it would become uh, four or five years later. David Garrow is the author of the Pulitzer Prize-winning biography of Martin Luther King, Bearing the Cross. He says the tipping point for King's refusal to keep silent came in the winter of that year. In February of 1967, when he was on a very uh, rare, brief vacation to Jamaica, he happened to see some full-color photographs that were published in a left-wing magazine of the time called Ramparts Magazine, photos that showed the impact of napalm on young children. Uh, the sorts of burns they suffered. So the impact of of these awful, traumatic, full-color photos from Vietnam really resolved King to speak out against the war. They watch as we pause in that water. They wander into the towns and see thousands of the children, homeless, without clothes, running in packs on the streets like animals. They see the children degraded by our soldiers as they beg for food. They see the children selling their sisters to our soldiers. We have destroyed their two most cherished institutions, the family and the village. We have destroyed their land and their crops. We have cooperated in the crushing of the nation. The famous speech he gave at Riverside Church, everything was at stake. Everything was at stake. The President of the United States had a stake in the war, Lyndon Johnson, and as this thing escalated, there was a huge amount invested, both in the civil rights movement and in the anti-war movement. And when these two movements came together, it was a wretched moment for the American ruling class. It's a wretched moment for the Pentagon, a wretched moment for the president. And to gain the president's animus, to gain his, his distaste for us, was a dangerous place for Dr. King to have stepped into. The giant triplets of racism, militarism, and economic exploitation are incapable of being conquered. The Western arrogance of feeling that it has everything to teach others and nothing to learn from them is not just this business of burning human beings with napalm, of sending men home from dark and bloody battlefields, physically handicapped and psychologically deranged, cannot be reconciled with wisdom, justice, and love. 
Oh, my friends, if that is any one thing that we must see today, is that these are revolutionary times. We were aware of the of the great sermon he'd given in the Riverside Church when he fully publicly came out against the Vietnam War. How it was for him a, a symbol of the decline of America into pagan imperialism, you know? That's what you were hoping to get in the Master Lecture? Well, we didn't want it to be less than the Riverside Church sermon, yeah. We, we wanted the full force of Martin Luther King's thought. We didn't want something politely accommodated. My own suspicion is that they assumed a government-owned broadcasting system would be timid. Well, <laughs> there's a lot of people in Canadian history who have worked very hard to make sure that the CBC will not always be timid. In fact, will seldom be timid. The first lectures were to be recorded in New York by the sound engineer for ideas, Del McKenzie. When I was recording one of the Massey lectures, uh, he was in a, a suite in one of the, like, Third Avenue hotels. Like you, you actually sat on the other side of the glass and recorded Martin Luther yeah, King. Yeah, there wasn't any glass. This was done in a hotel room in one case and then another. So it wasn't a studio? No, no. What I remember is that the first two tapes were really disappointing. In what way? Well, they were boring. They sound terrible. They sound flat. And I remember we had some conversation about this because they went on air, and I don't... Janet, maybe you remember how are we going to improve on these things because the, the lectures were really boring to listen to. The Best of Ideas presents the Massey Lectures for 1967 by Martin Luther King. A million words will be written and spoken to dissect the ghetto outbreaks. You take a preacher, especially a preacher in the black church tradition. I mean, a, a sermon in Dr. King's church is a dialogical thing. You know, there's lots of emotional exchange between the congregation and the preacher. Sins will be committed. There's no human community to dialogue with. And it's not very inspiring, you know? They were probably among the most boring ideas programs ever produced. unemployment and poverty. He flagrantly violates building codes and regulations. I had the very challenging mission of going to New York and telling the great Martin Luther King that it wasn't quite good enough. <laughs> How old were you at the time? At the time, I was, I think, 27 years old. So off Janet Somerville went to New York. 27 years old, a committed Catholic with a degree in theology, and having to tell the Baptist Nobel laureate Dr. Martin Luther King to muscle up his lectures. She wanted his message to be more radical, when many of his old allies in the American media were losing interest in him. 
David Garrow. By 1967, not only were the major American newspaper voices much more critical of King, there was also an explicit attitude of derision towards King in some of the more left-wing white press. Several writers in quote-unquote progressive uh, white magazines really dismissed King as as irrelevant to the future of American politics and, and the black community. So it's very important for people to realize how by the last eight or nine months of his life, King is viewed as this voice from the past, someone who's almost, uh, even though he's still alive, more a figure of history than a figure for the future. But Janet saw a different Martin Luther King once she got to New York. It was a warm, respectful dinner of people meeting each other uh, in a strong, with a strong sense of common vision, you know. It was not a confrontation. Martin Luther King is a Christian minister, and I am very churched, and I took it for granted that once we met, there would be a strong, shared consciousness. I mean, he was the opposite of overbearing, and you could feel his fragility. It was the fragility of the man who had given his all in leadership and effort. I felt reverence. I felt like kneeling down and asking for his blessing. That is not part of the Baptist tradition, so I knew enough not to do it. For him, it would have seemed idolatrous. How did you see him within the tradition, either your tradition or his? Well, of course, of course he was a prophet. I mean, that's a no-brainer. Prophets are people who stand in the, in the turmoil of history and communicate to their brothers and sisters some aspect of God's vision of what's going on in the human world at that time. That's what a prophet is, and of course he was a prophet. And I say to you this morning that if you have never found something so dear and so precious to you that you will die for it, then you aren't fit to live. Make it clean. Make it clean. Dr. King's philosophy of nonviolence compelled him to speak out against the war, even though it meant making enemies in the white establishment. That same philosophy was also alienating some of the very people he was seen to represent. Some great issue. By the middle of 1967, much of black America viewed Dr. King as sort of old hat or or obsolete. Among younger urban African Americans, Dr. King's insistence that nonviolence was a fundamental ethical precept to which everyone had to adhere was viewed as out of date uh, in, in the era of urban disorder and rioting. I did not like the concept of turn the other cheek, a philosophy and strategy of nonviolence would only mean people in power would continue to trample over us, and we had to be prepared to take stronger action if necessary. Herman Blake was one black intellectual who bristled at King's message of nonviolent resistance and resented his famous I Have a Dream march on Washington. I was angry. I wasn't about to go, and a number of us didn't. And we really were very scornful. Scornful in the sense that this man is so out of touch that the only way he can see our freedom is in a dream. That was 
to us the most outrageous, ridiculous thing he could have said. I would not have gone around the corner to hear him speak. I considered him to be the kind of person who made the establishment feel good about our oppression. I did. I'm not saying I was right. In fact, I was wrong, but I was scornful. That was an excerpt from To Heal a Sick Nation, produced by Greg Kelly and hosted by Paul Kennedy. It originally appeared on the documentary program Ideas from the Canadian Broadcasting Corporation. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. To hear the full hour-long documentary and for a link to all of Dr. Martin Luther King's 1967 Massey lectures, visit our website at thirdcoastfestival.org. You've been listening to ReSound from the Third Coast International Audio Festival in Chicago. I'm Gwen Maxi. The program is produced by Dennis Funk and curated by Johanna Zorn and Sarah Geis of the Third Coast Festival. You can hear today's program at thirdcoastfestival.org, where you can also hear more than 1,500 outstanding documentaries from around the world and subscribe to our podcast. Support for ReSound comes from Emma a web-based email marketing and communication service helping businesses and nonprofits manage their email campaigns and online surveys in style. More at myemma.com. Support for ReSound also comes from Whole Foods Market, with new locations in Streeterville and DePaul, supplying a wide variety of natural and organic groceries. You can find all the latest news about Whole Foods Market openings at wfm.com. The Third Coast International Audio Festival is a nonprofit arts organization made possible with lead funding from the Richard H. Driehaus Foundation and the John D. and Catherine T. MacArthur Foundation. Additional support is provided by the Agadino Foundation, the Menaki Foundation, and the National Endowment for the Arts. The Third Coast Festival is supported in part by a grant from the Illinois Arts Council Agency. Special thanks to our many individual contributors from Chicago and around the world. The Third Coast Festival, now an independent arts organization, was originally founded at WBEZ Chicago. If you want to contact us, we would love to hear from you. Email us at resound at thirdcoastfestival.org. You can also connect with us through Facebook and Twitter. Resound returns next week with more radio that you can't hear anywhere else unless you live everywhere else.
You've been listening to the Third Coast Podcast. If you like what you heard today, leave us a review on iTunes, send us an email, or let us know through Facebook or Twitter. You can also support us with a donation at thirdcoastfestival.org. As always, thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High-quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.